it simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. On this episode of the Tea with Mike show, uh, we welcomed uh, Brendan uh, from Master Talk. Uh, we're talking about public speaking, uh, communication, and storytelling, but more importantly, uh, living your life outside the box. Uh, and as always, grab a cup of tea, sit back, and enjoy. All right, guys, welcome to another episode uh, of the Tea with Mike show. Uh, joining me uh, for this one is uh, Brendan uh, from uh, Master Talk. Uh, welcome to Tea with Mike, Brendan. Of course, great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Awesome, uh, super excited uh, that we get to do this. So let, let's just uh, jump right in and learn a little bit more about your story. So. Uh, obviously, um, your parents are originally uh, from Sri Lanka, uh, so I'm really curious to know what was it like uh, growing up in uh, Montreal as the son of immigrant parent? Damn, you've done your homework. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think what's what's fascinating about living in a completely different culture than your parents did is the way that you look at the world is is through a different lens. It's like you're wearing different sunglasses on. So, for example, in Sri Lanka, I wasn't born in Sri Lanka. I was born and raised in Montreal, like you said. So, in the over there, a lot of the culture is very collectivism. So, we do something for everybody, whereas in America and in Canada and Western society, it's you do things for yourself. So, there's a different way of thinking about it. So, let's say I wanted something, but then my mom would say something like, "Well, don't do that. It's not good for the family." So, there's a lot of clashing values into how we both think. But I think the key is we can learn something from all different perspectives. And uh, it was definitely a challenge. That's one piece. The other piece was was French. You know, as you know, French is a required language in Montreal. If you don't know it, you suck. Like you can't do well in the city. <laughs> period. And you know, my parents struggled a lot with French, but they knew that if I learned French, I would do well in the city. So I got sent to a French school, and that was really challenging too because I didn't know the language. And uh, yeah, so so things like that. Lots of challenges growing up. But yeah, I think for sure it's it's been fun. I'm I'm really grateful that I come from immigrant parents. It gives me a lot of perspective on how to think about the world. Awesome. awesome. Uh, and what were some of your uh, favorite things about growing up in uh, the city of uh, Montreal? Let me see my favorite one. Uh, there's a reason I never left. I, I still reside in the same house I did when I started my life. And I think the reason is because there's so much to love about the city. You know, one is the food. Food's cheap. Actually, living expenses are cheap. My, my mortgage is 800 bucks a month here. In, in Montreal, it's nuts, right? That's one. Two is, you know, all my friends and family are here, so I don't, I don't really don't want to leave the city. And the third one is, it's like, Montreal's like living in a suburb where you know everybody, but the st city's still big enough to be called a city, right? So you don't have to take Ubers all day. You can just take a metro subway all day. So yeah, lots, lots of benefits to the city. I, I, I've thought a lot about moving to New York or Los Angeles or Florida or Toronto. And I was like, nah, my, my heart stays in Montreal, so I'll probably just stay here. I love it. And, and so if you had to draw on uh, kind of all of uh, your childhood, what is, what is, I guess, like a favorite me memory or one thing that stands out above all else? Hmm. There's a lot. But if I had to say one, it was probably the first day I met my cousins, Nujin Sigon, like when I was eight years old. Uh, I, I just knew we were going to be friends forever, right? You know, the, you know, some family members you don't like, <laughs> and there's others that you're just like, wow, how could I live life without them? So yeah, that's probably a favorite childhood memory, probably playing with those guys at their house in Toronto and just 
yeah, just shooting the shit and having, uh, just, you know, like any other good family. But yeah, lots of great memories, and that's probably the biggest one for me. Nice. So, so uh, moving forward, uh, maybe a, a, a couple of years, uh, what were kind of like some of your uh, favorite subjects in uh, school? Sure. Uh, so growing up, you know, my, my goal, and it sounds very surprising, was to be an accountant. So I was a math wizard. I was pretty good at math. But every other subject I was pretty bad at. So it was really easy when I was making a decision as to what I wanted to do. Because my math report card was really strong. And every other subject well, wasn't really strong. So yeah, you know, that, that was probably my favorite subject. That's the thing I really liked. That I was really good at. But over time, as I got to university, uh, I realized math probably wasn't the thing I wanted to do in life and being an accountant. So I switched paths. But yeah, besides that, Lots of other subject I liked was PE. You know, PE was fun. It's a good networking opportunity to talk with other kids. <laughs> but yeah, that, that would be it. PE and math, probably. Fantastic. So I'm curious to know like, if I was to ask you, um, maybe I'll hunt them down, maybe I won't, but um, if, if, I, if I was to go ask uh, the teachers uh, that, you, that taught you throughout school, how would they describe you? Or what Very would you simple. be most memorable? What would you be most yeah. remem- remembered for? You know, it's funny you say that. I think that the title that I'm known for from the teachers in high school is every time they would see me, for some reason, they always go, oh, this guy's a good boy. Brett is like a good kid. He's always he's always doing his homework. He's always on time. He's like the model student. So I think that's what they'd say about me. I wasn't, I wasn't someone who would break rules. I, I break a lot of rules today with what I do in the space. But, uh, you know, initially, I was, I was just a goody two-shoes, you know, checked all the boxes. Uh, so that's probably what they'd say. They'd say, oh, my God, like, Brendan is, like, he's, he's a great student. He just always follows the rules. That's probably what they'd say. Nice. And uh, what do, do you think um, you get, uh, I guess, the good values and the characteristics from? Yeah, so like, probably my mom. You know, I think, I think my mom ra- did a really good job raising me and my sister. And she has a very strong value system. There's some things I don't agree with, but I think most of it, you know, treat people with respect. You know, it doesn't matter regardless of what your social media following is or your accomplishments or the fame or the money that you might have. Just treat every other human being the same. Treat them with respect, with love, and I think you'll live a pretty good life. My, my mom's a, a very simple mom. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't aspire to own a Lamborghini. She lives a pretty simple life with me. and She lives with me, and we all kind of just enjoy that simplicity. And I, and I think that, that really trickled down into how I live my life. Fantastic. And so... Obviously, a big part of what you do um, more present day is uh, public speaking. So you you mentioned uh, math and accountancy uh, f- a few moments ago. So d- is public speaking something that you always wanted to pursue? No, not at all, actually. I, I had no plans of work being a communication coach or starting a YouTube channel is the last thing on my mind. My goal in life work was to be a, an executive at a company. Okay, I wanted to get out of poverty. I didn't have a lot of money growing up. And I was like, okay, let's make some money and then just be successful. So I went to university. I went to business school. You know, I got a job, one of the big four accounting firms, and I was pretty sure I was going to stay there. But then I had, I started doing these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys <laughs> my age were, I don't know, playing rugby or cricket or footy or something like that. I didn't like any of that stuff. So I was doing the nerd version of that, which was presentations all the time. So anyways, I got really good at communication. And then over time, I realized 
that uh, I was actually pretty good at it. And that's where the passion came from. But if I never did case competitions, I don't think the idea for Mass Truck ever would have came to fruition. Awesome. And so, like, talk to me a little bit about your first uh, case competition. Uh, like, was it something that you found by yourself? Or was it like, hey, Johnny down the street was like, hey, Brendan, I think you'd... Uh, I think you should try do, do, do add a little bit of speaking and entering a, a case competition. What were the kind of the circumstances around the transition into case competitions? Yeah, it's a mix of a lot of different things. But I'll say the big one was when I was in my first semester of university. One of my friends told me about, hey, you got to participate in this thing. It's a competition for business. I was like, what is that? And I wasn't really interested. I was like, I got to study. But then when I saw my friends were entering the competition, I was like, well, I want to beat them or team up with them. That sounds more fun. So I, I just tried one out, you know, just for jokes. And I really loved it. I, I was really bad at it, too, at the beginning. Because I had, like, my prom suit on from, like, high school. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, like, oversized. Let's, say my, let's just say my tie didn't end at my belt. Okay, I'll just put it out like that. Uh. So, so, yeah, was it, uh, I wasn't very good. But I just really liked it. Then we did another case for, uh, for a bottling company in Canada. And we met the CEO of the company, and I was 19 at the time. I was like, oh, wow, hi there. And he's like, oh, you're pretty good at this. And I was like, I guess maybe I am. So uh, that's when I started really taking case competition seriously. But it, it's like uh, in the same way other guys like following sports and stuff, which I don't really care for. What I spent a lot of my time doing was I would literally spend like nights and weekends watching other presentations over like dinner. And like have friends comment on them. It was like the weirdest thing. Most people didn't understand this. But yeah, that's why it started. I just got really obsessed with competitions. And that just became my life for three years. And that's what led to what I do today. Awesome, man. Awesome, man. So uh, let, let's, have, let's have a little uh, tea fact because it's a little staple moment always in the show. So uh, the, the tea fact that I've drummed up from uh, the, uh, my research today is until Victorian times, uh, English upper classes pronounced it uh, Tay. It was seen as a pr pr preserve of the rich, and posh ladies would even carry the tea at uh, the key uh, to the tea caddy around their necks uh, to keep it uh, safe from the maid. So, and that's from GoodHousekeeping.com. So that's just an example of how prestigious uh, tea used to be uh, in the UK. And how it was, yeah, very traditional, but also um, for the upper class versus everyday folk, which is what it is uh, today, right? You know, it's funny. You know, in my head as you're saying this, I was like, should I mess with Mike and say I only like coffee? But I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm actually a huge tea drinker, so that works out. Oh, what's your favorite type of tea? I actually only drink one, a black Paco. Describe it to me. Describe the taste. <laughs> this is such a weird show, man. I love it. It's black tea, man. I don't really know what it tastes like. There's no sugar. And I just uh, I just drink it. It just uh, it's, uh, it tastes good, man. <laughs> nice. So, so, so my favorite type of uh, tea is uh, Yorkshire tea, which is also uh, a nice, uh, strong black tea. Cause, and, it, and it's made uh, near actually where I grew up in uh, in. Uh, North uh, Yorkshire in England, so it's made by a brand uh, called uh, Taylor's out of Harrogate, and Harrogate is uh, quite posh. It, it's 
uh, known for like there's a brand uh, called Betty's Betty's which is like a, a, a major like uh, tea shop and people go for afternoon tea with the like still with the white tablecloths and they have the tea and the jam and the scones and uh, that type of thing so the tradition uh, still lives on in uh, certain parts of the country wow you're a pretty fancy guy man love it no, I think I'm pretty simple. I, 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 I just, I, I just like researching the history. So anyway, uh, so what was, what's been some of the kind of the most uh, challenging uh, things about uh, your journey, and what have you learned about yourself kind of along the way? Yeah, definitely a lot of challenges for sure. Like when I started Master Talk, you know, a lot of university professors told me I was stupid. You know that I didn't know what I was talking about, and that why is a kid teaching communication to the world? And like that, you know, I had many different challenges in my life, but I'd say the biggest lesson that I got from all of it is to understand that by asking yourself difficult questions about how life should be, you're going to start to ponder over what really matters. And I think Tony Robbins puts it best. He says the quality of your life is solely determined by the quality of the questions that you dare to ask yourself. Questions like if you had all the money in the world, what would you do with your time? So many of us are, are doing our day jobs or trying to retire. What if you had $10 million in your bank account? What would you do tomorrow? Would you still work? If not, what would you do? Like most people don't dream about this stuff. They don't, they don't think about that. And I think that's the big lesson I learned in life is, is if I started asking myself questions like this, or what am I pretending not to know? Or if I was God, what would I do first and why? The more you ponder these things, the more you reflect instead of just absorbing information, I think that's when the secret sauce starts to come out. Yeah, so, and so, so how is, uh, I guess, that uh, philosophy and asking uh, the difficult uh, questions, how has that helped you uh, scale uh, master talk? That's a great question. I think for me in the context of master talk, the, the way that's helped is when you ask great questions back to your audience, you start to deliver new insights. So I'll give you an example. So at the beginning, it starts with simple questions like, Mike, do you struggle with communication? Yes or no? Let's say you go, yes. Why? Why do you struggle? And then you'll give me an answer. And then I'll be like, okay, so you're scared. Why do you think you're scared? And then you're going to say, ah, oh, because I think blah, 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 blah. Right? Regardless, right? Just a scenario. But I've done that hundreds of times, whether it's through interviews with podcasts, whether it's through talking to six-year-olds or 50-year-olds. It's by, it's by learning that that you start to get new insights. I'll give you an example of that to showcase this. Most speech coaches, when they give a presentation, it sounds something like this. Their number one fear after death is public speaking. And whereas I look at that and I go, whoa, 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 that's true, but who cares? Like if your goal is to help people communicate better, if your goal is to help people communicate their ideas, why would you talk about the fear? Why would you scare people in the first 10 seconds of your presentation? That's why for me, my approach is asking questions like this. How would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator? Right? How do we spin this positive? I got that from my audience. Because as I talk to my audience, I ask them questions. I realize 95% of them are just scared to open their mouth. How do we reframe that? That's a good example of how good questions play into MasterDoc, but also every area of life. Now, 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 so, so, uh, so, give us, give, give us a little bit of, uh, I guess, background and context on uh, Master Talk. Like, like, how, how big is it in terms of size? Like, what goals do you have with it, and how are you uh, impacting people? 
Yeah, for sure, man. So Master Talk is a pub is a YouTube channel I started on communication tips. The reason I started was pretty simple. All of the public speaking tips out there that are available for free are really bad. You hear advice like, "Oh, Mike, you should like be yourself. You should like follow your dreams. Keep drinking your tea," and you're like, "Okay, like what am I supposed to do with this?" Whereas for me, I, I'm a big believer that communication is a catalyst for our ideas. And if everyone was an exceptional communicator, all of the best ideas would come to fruition. All of the best ideas would be on the table. And from those ideas, the world would start to become a better place because we have the best people working on the best inventions. So for me, it was all about how do I bring actionability and how do I bring tangible advice into the space for free? And that's how it started. Obviously, you know, I grew a business out of it in a practice. But I think the bigger mission for me is to be the next Dale Carnegie. And I think that's the unfortunate reality of Dale's work is Dale's done a great job with his books. But since he wasn't born in a time period where he could record YouTube videos or guest on a podcast like this, we don't even know how he sounds like. And that's what I want to change in the, in the space. Uh, talk to me in 30 seconds about uh, Dale Ka uh, Carnegie and who, who he is, what he do and what he does, and why he's inspiring to you. Yeah, for sure. So for those who don't know, Dale Carnegie is the author of many books, the most popular one being How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I think for me, the biggest thing I learned from Dale is, you know, be generous with information. You know, he was a public speaking facilitator. He was a master of communication and influence. Most of his knowledge today is stored in books. But he used to be, that's what he used to do, like give workshops on the topic. And now there's a lot of Dale Carnegie workshops that are being given across the world. But I think the key for me, what I less learned from, from Dale is to keep pushing the knowledge. Don't just stop it at what he knows, push it to the next level. And, and, and okay, so and talking about pushing it to the next level, how, how, how do you, um, in your work and as you build your community like how, how do you push yourself to, uh, to the next level daily well in terms of habits yeah you know i don't complicate things you know I don't, i'm not the perfect habits guy you know you'll never see me wake up at 5 a.m and do a workout that's not me sometimes i work up about 10 a.m right i think for me the one habit that people need to implement in their lives that nobody talks about is asking yourself a hard question about life every day like, you want the secret to life? I'll tell it to you right now. Write your own funeral speech. Oh. 99% of people aren't willing to do that. But if you take the time to write it out, if you're in a casket, what would you want people to say about you? Who you were, what you stood for, what values you had? It's that type of reflection that gets you really clear on the goalpost. So when we met on Clubhouse, you could tell I'm pretty focused on what I want on the platform, what I want to do. And that's true with life. And I want that for everybody. Because you might realize that what you really want out of life is more time with your family. And that's okay, too. But I think it's important for all of us to get clear so we can all be a bit more happier. I love it, man. It, yeah, that's definitely something that I I started to I think a little bit more as I, as I spent some time on at Clubhouse, which really uh, like refocusing, like, why am I doing all of this? Like, what is the... What is the purpose behind everything I'm doing? And every day I'm trying to re uh, refine that a little more. Of course. So what motivates you to get out of bed every day? Obviously, you just said you, you like to have a flexible uh, structure because if I'm understanding uh, the conversation so far, like 
and you're li you're living uh, I guess the best version of your life and what makes you happy and and your version doesn't require you or probably because you don't want to get up at 5 a.m so like what motivates you to get out of bed yeah for me the big thing at the end of the day is legacy I want to do something important for the human race bottom line right I just want to help humanity in a, in a way that I think I can and for me and everyone's got their thing for me, it ended up being communication and public speaking and unlocking that potential for the world. So the way I get up in the morning is to serve my family, you know, clients, whatever, but also slowly chip away at that goal of like for me, my ideal state is that the next Elon Musk, who's probably a seven year old girl in Cambodia, grows up watching my videos because she can't afford me. Right. She can't afford me. Right. But that's the point is that because she has access to the tools anyways, that she can become a way better speaker than Elon ever was. So when she's running billion-dollar companies at 25, she's going to look at me one day and go, hey, this Brendan guy, I remember watching him. He was on YouTube. He helped me along my communication. That's my goal. How do you serve humanity at a higher level? I'm not here for cars or fancy things. I really don't care. That's why I still live in my mother's basement. Nice. So you believe it? So, so uh, an overarching uh, philosophy or wh whatever fancy word that you want to throw to it is um, you keeping things simple. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. That's what I really want to drive is I'm not here to enforce my principles onto anyone. I think what's important for people to understand is you need to write your own. For you who's listening, it might be important to buy a fancy car. Maybe you just love cars. You have a passion for it. I don't personally care about them, but you could. In the same way, somebody who's listening could be like, well, I want to move in with my girlfriend or boyfriend at 25. Whereas me, it's like, I don't want to do that. I'd rather live with my mom at, until I'm 30 or 35 because I don't know how long my mom's going to be alive for. So I'd rather just spend time with her. Mm -hmm. right? So, so I think being intentional – and I'm a weird character, as you want to tell. Being intentional but every decision allows you to make better decisions for the life that you want to live. And when you start doing that, your life will just be better. You'll be a happy camper like me. I, I, I think that's a very uh, uh, fa fascinating f uh, perspective uh, that you bring up because I think, like, you go through life and there's a, there's a lot of structure and, like, tradition, right? You, you're obviously born and, and then you go to school and then you graduate and, and then maybe you um, maybe you go to college and then you uh, work in corporate. That's even if you can find a job uh, these days. Um, and it's, it's very linear, isn't it, that there's so many people, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but following that, like, kind of linear path. But there's probably people out there that that shouldn't be following uh, the linear path too, and they should be trying to figure out. They, they have some extra energy or creativity inside them, and they need to be doing something with that, but it, sometimes they just don't know how, and that's really the, the difficult question that needs to be addressed. Absolutely, man. Like, you know, like, I'll tell you, the linear path was exactly what I needed to do, right? Like, I did the linear path, got the job, and I'm glad I did all those things. Because if I never went to university, I never would have found out about case competitions. And if I never would have done cases, I'd never be master talk. Right? But that's the point I want to drive. But to your point, I think it's so important to understand yourself. And the only way to understand yourself truly, in a way I think 99% people don't, is understanding exactly what you suck at. Like I know everything that I'm terrible at. Most people, you know, they tell you to focus on your strengths. 
like, geez, okay, that's great. But if you don't know what you're shitty at, you don't know how to delegate properly. Like for me, it's like, yeah, communication, definitely my lane. Being a designer and picking my clothes, probably not. Right? <laughs> we matched there, like, uh, uh, yeah. Like or it. getting a haircut, it should probably do that at some point. <laughs> but the point I want to drive is like, yeah, I'm not good at a lot of things, but the things I'm good at, I'm really good at, right? And the things I'm not good at at all, I'm really bad at them. So I get other people to do that for me. Like I was, I was telling a joke this morning on one of my client calls. I was saying that, hey guys, I don't pick my clothes. You know, when I have three hours and I need to get dressed or I need to get new clothes for my wardrobe or something, I call somebody. I go, hey, my friend who's a designer, can you come go to like a thrift shop with me and like pick out clothes for me? He goes, sure, I'll, I'll buy you lunch or something. Done. That's that's the key. Live life that's in a, that way, and I think you'll be successful. That's interesting because you you also bring up uh, the 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 point that a lot of people talk about all the time, right? And that's like surrounding yourselves um, with the with the right people and uh, people that compliment you, right? Yep. And it was a hard lesson for me, by the way, because I'm a very lone wolf, at least I used to be. But I think what I realized over time, Mike, nobody does big things on their own. Name one person. Nobody. No, because they're all ultimately surrounded by teams of people that are executing on their vision at the same time, right? As much as they take the headlines. 100%. Like, I'd be nothing without my teams. Also, man, so... uh... Before we segue a little uh, in a little different direction, so how has uh, Clubhouse uh, helped you uh, build a community, but also uh, connect with people that uh, have different strengths and like that type of thing? How are you? How are you utilizing Clubhouse? Yeah, for sure. I think we can start from the beginning. So for those who don't know what Clubhouse is, essentially an invite-only app on iPhone right now where you can jump into audio-only conversations and lead conversations on topics. So there's no video, it's just audio. So to be honest, I wasn't very excited about Clubhouse. You know, I've been on YouTube for two and a half years. I was doing well, not super well, but good, building momentum slowly but surely. I had no intention of Clubhouse until the fourth person in my network told me to get on Clubhouse. They said, you need to be on the app. This app was made for you. And I just said, app was made for me? What are you talking about? So I get on the app. And in two hours, I realized what the opportunity was fairly quickly, which is the following. Clubhouse allows you to share ideas in a democratic way. What does that mean? That means that if you have something important to say before, if you had something smart to say, you have to go out there and push yourself. Put, make the YouTube videos, hustle your way to an audience, go to a, uh, an event planner. Please, can I come speak at your event or go to university? Please, can I come to university? Clubhouse kills all of that. If you have the best ideas in the world and people want to hear them, you will grow like crazy. Because Clubhouse is following, you're following Clubhouse is directly related to the number of lives that you change, to the number of lives that resonate with your message. And that was the thing with me, Mike. Like, you know, I started Mass Truck when I was 22. A lot of people didn't take me seriously when I started taking on C-suite executive clients. A lot of people thought I wasn't, you know, you know, that I knew my stuff. And then I got on Clubhouse. Then the second I got on Clubhouse, I saw all the other communication experts on the platform. I was like, you don't know anything about communication. So I started hosting my own rooms. And, you know, it is, you know, what happened, happened. But I think the... The takeaway for everyone who's listening is if you're the world's best kept secret right now, if you're someone who has an idea worth sharing and nobody knows you, 
Clubhouse is your catalyst. So I encourage all of you to take it like I'm taking it right now. Awesome, awesome, man. Okay, let's go. Uh, let's go to yeah. So, so obviously, uh, public speaking uh, is yeah. No, let's start with like, how old were you? Uh, like when you gave uh, your first, um, I guess, public like present presentation, and like what what was the environment, and what specifically did you speak on? Yeah, so my first, actually all of them until I started Master Talk were case competitions. So I guess technically I started when I was 19, 20 ish, um, probably 19. And, it, and most of them were uh, case cases. So we would go up against other universes, we'd present against them. It's like Speaker Wars. Think of it like that. And then over time, I, uh, I developed the Master Talk brand. I started giving keynotes on communication and public speaking and storytelling. Okay, so then, my, so talk to us about the first time you you got booked to uh, uh, talk about storytelling and communication and public speaking, man. Hmm. So it wasn't really, um, it wasn't really that I got booked, Mike. It was more just I got booked later, I guess, more officially. But when I started, what happened was when I was in the case competition program, when I was in year two, I realized that we didn't have an in-house communication coach, right? We couldn't afford one. We're all students, right? Broke students. So I just said, oh, I should probably be the communication coach. So oh. I started coaching these people and I sucked at it because knowing how to speak and teaching someone how to speak is a completely different skill set because most people who know how to speak well are not coaches. They're CEOs, they're presidents of companies, they're politicians, and the list goes on. So I didn't really know how to teach it, but I, I wanted to serve the students. So over time, I would have conversations with them. I started building keynotes. They all sucked. And then over time, I got really, really good at it. So it was all a process that kind of unfolded. And then after that, then a couple of nonprofits started inviting me to come speak at, for their kids, like their, you know, those leadership program for kids. Yeah. So I just do pro bono, stuff like that. And then one engagement led to another. And then I started getting into the circuit. I see you. So you so you kind of slowly built up your uh, rep reputation, right? Like, and I'm sure throughout of this, you uh, were constantly at uh, networking and looking uh, for different opportunities. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. There's a great book on this for people who are interested in professional speaking. It's called The Successful Speaker by Grant Baldwin. So Grant's just an amazing guy. Um, his free content landed me speaking gigs. So you can just go read his book. I think it's like seven bucks or something on Amazon. Six hour read, well worth your time. Nice. And so do you, so do you, do you get nervous about speaking in front of audiences? I mean, I was nervous at the beginning when I started and I'll tell you why. Most of the presentations I gave for most of my life, Mike, that's why I'm so passionate about communication, was in a language I didn't know because I didn't know French and I studied my whole life in French. So I'd literally get up in like a first grade classroom and I'd literally go, uh, bon, bonjour. Like I was, I sucked. Like I wasn't really good. And I was really scared too. But I think for me, nerves still come, but the way those nerves show up is different. So what do I mean by that? What, what that means is nerves will always be a thing. I don't care if you're Tony Robbins, Les Brown, doesn't matter. You're always going to be nervous. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. But the difference between the best speakers and everyone else is that the reason why they're speaking, the why is far greater than the fear. 
So a good analogy I could give you is like it's like a boxing match. One side is the fear, the other side is your message. The fear will always be in the ring, hmm. but your message needs to get the knockout punch. Hmm. As long as your message gets the knockout punch, you'll always overcome the fear. So yeah, when I started moderating on Clubhouse, it's a great analogy. I was terrible at it, Mike. Super bad. You didn't know me back then. That's why you didn't see that. But I literally go, ah, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Brendan, and this is uh, Mike. Mike, what's your question? Right? And now it's, we're so proud to welcome Mike to the stage. Right? It's different. But, it's very you know, polished. Uh, yeah. It's a lot more polished. But yeah, we put in a lot of hours. You know, I think I was moderating 10 hours a day for like, I still moderate every day. Right? I haven't missed a day since December 29th, and it's been three months almost. Right? I don't take vacation. I just work every day. But that's the thing, right? And then over time, I got really good. And I think that's the message. And I was nervous at the beginning, but over time, as you do it more and more, and you understand why you're doing it, you know, for the people who come into your rooms, for the people who take their time and give it to you, you show, you start showing up in a different way for them. Nice. And so, obviously, like, obviously, you just mentioned nerves are a legitimate thing, which uh, totally makes sense. So, are there some, like, strategies that you've developed uh, to keep yourself... I guess calm under pressure or if something goes wrong because it's not the grass is not always green right yep absolutely i'll, I'll give you the strategy it's there's no silver bullet here right i'm, I'm a big fan of lead bullets and the, the strategy is simple do the harder thing you know if you're scared of giving a presentation practice presenting topics you've never done before so that way you're more comfortable i'll give you an example it's called the random word exercise. This is the, the, my most popular tip on the YouTube channel. And I'm happy to demonstrate it if you want. Yeah, let's go. The idea, yeah, for sure. But just so people know what the exercise is, you give somebody a random word and they have to create a presentation out of thin air. So you have no prep time. But what this does is it conditions your mind into thinking that you can do anything. Because if you're preparing a presentation for five minutes or even moderating a space on Clubhouse or anything, those presentations become a joke. Because you're like, I talked about avocados for five minutes. Like, so mm. this is a joke. Right? So, yeah, that's the exercise. So how about you shoot me a random word and I'll do a presentation for you. Let's go with scuba diving. You got it. Do you feel that? The oxygen in my tank because I'm diving into this ocean. You know, a lot of people told me that, you know, Brendan, when you're going to go scuba diving the first time, you have to be careful to watch your breath. You got to watch your oxygen tanks. You got to make sure you stay near the top of the water. And I didn't listen to them. So when I jumped in the first time, I realized really quickly that I probably should have checked my oxygen. But luckily, my instructor was there. But there's a bigger message here. Scuba diving is not just how we associate the word which is, oh, go have a good time. But it's a way to explore a new world. It's a way to look at the world from a completely different lens. And as we're under the water, we're looking at the fishes and the corals and the rocks, and the amazing things in that ocean. We start to think of what's possible. What kind of creatures exist in this realm, not just in that ocean, but also in the possibilities of our own life. Scuba diving is an analogy for what we can achieve in our life. In the same way that most of the ocean is unexplored, is untreacherous, we haven't, don't even know what the bottom of the Pacific Ocean looks like, it's the same thing of our lives. 
we seem to think that our potential is the tip of the ocean, like the tip of an iceberg. But the truth is, is there's so much more to explore. So the next time you dive first to the ocean, the next time you go scuba diving, think about the bigger picture. Think about what you haven't seen yet and what you can explore for the life that you're about to take on. So go jump in and dive. Dude, that was phenomenal. Good job, man. I thought that was going to be hard, but like, I guess the more you, pr the more you uh, practice, like the better you, the, the you become. And, uh, and I could see, like, and you use this throughout the, the conversation so far, you have little, you have little uh, strategies that you use to help you uh, navigate the question or the conversation. You got it, man. And that's the thing I want to push is like, I, I'm not an exception case. All of you can do this. And this is the thing I want to drive. Brendan's not talented. Brendan just did the exercise 3,000 times. 3,000. Not three times. Not 300 times. 3,000 times. So all I'm asking for is five minutes of your day. Pick five words. Lamp, husband, tree, basement. Make one-minute presentations. If you do that for a year, you'll have done the exercise almost 2,000 times. Oh wow! Now, so super good. Uh, so, so what? Obviously, you probably spend a lot of time like, um, uh, on technology and uh, that that type of thing, both with your business and with social media and building a community. And so, like, how do you look after your mental and uh, physical health? Because obviously, there'll be people out there, but like, well, Brendan spending, and I'm sure you maybe you've had it on Clubhouse. I just haven't been privy to that particular room where they're like. It's super unhealthy to be on Clubhouse for 15 hours a day, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Here's what I'll say. There's two things. The one is my perspective, and second is the advice I'll give. Perspective. I don't believe in balance, Mike. I think everyone has their own definition of what balance is. And I think the key message is define it for yourself. Make sure you're in alignment. So, for example, you know, some people say, Oh, you know, Brendan, I want to spend three days a week with my family. My answer to that is always, why are you only spending two? You said you wanted to spend three days. So why are you only spending two? What's what's wrong in your schedule? Let's fix that. So this, like, like, you know, I want to do pretty big things in life. And that comes at a cost. But because I'm comfortable with that balance, like, for example, every decision I make is perfectly aligned with how I want those decisions to go. So why do I live with my family? Because I know for a fact that if I didn't live with my family, I would never see them. Because I work so much. I work probably 15, 16 hours a day. And I love it, by the way. Not for everyone, though. But because my mom's upstairs, my sister's upstairs, I don't have to travel that far to see them. I just pop in, have lunch with them, go back down, go back to work. Right, so I think the key is defining what balance means to you. What does work-life balance look like in the way that maximizes your dreams and your happiness? That's one part. The other part of the equation is what advice that anyone can apply that I think most people don't do. This is what somebody calls a bliss list. Okay, It boggles my mind that most people don't do this. Okay, So take a piece of paper and do this as we're talking. Make a list of the things that bring you joy. And be very specific about those things. Because most of us use other people's lists. And I'm happy to share mine. I can karaoke in eight different languages. I dance alone in my basement 30 minutes a day. I dance alone in my basement in between every single meeting I have. 
right? So I'm not just sitting there for 16 hours. Clubhouse too, I'm just jumping around in my house, dancing, whatever. Nobody sees anything. It doesn't matter. Me, me too, you know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're killing it on the dance floor. You're awesome. But I also love clubbing. I also love yelling at my friends over dinner, especially when it bothers other people at the restaurant. That's like the best, right? And I ask them questions that are super uncomfortable. Like, what are you pretending not to know? Or if you were God, what would you do first and what? Like super uncomfortable stuff. That's what brings me joy. And a lot of you are listening to this and you're saying, I don't want to do any of that. I don't want to be doing karaoke or dancing. But that's the point, Mike. Where's your list? Where is it? You never wrote it. That's the point. What is it for you? Is it is it reading a book seven minutes a day? Is it taking a walk every day? It's not for me. I don't care about that stuff. But for you, it might matter. But the beauty of writing it down is even if you just do a couple of things on the list, you'll feel like you're taking ownership of your life. You'll feel like you're in control. And when that happens, then you'll live a much healthier life. I love it, man. And just touching on uh, writing it down, like uh, the Tea with Mike show started as a college project and it was a kind of amalgamation of all like my different experiences working in the entertainment industry and um, always loving uh, people and loving theater and culture and diversity and all of those uh, different types of things. But to your point, if I hadn't written down some of these experiences and perspectives and then the tea with mike show would have never have happened and like obviously i'll never know but because life is a journey but we wouldn't be speaking here to, like like today and who knows what i'd be doing if i hadn't written it down i'm with you i, I think your show is like the perfect example of this do i think it's weird that you throw out history quotes on tea in the middle of the show probably but the point is you enjoy it that's what brings you joy you're like, screw it. I want to do some tea quotes. I was like, do your tea quotes, man. As long as you're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> that's what I want. I want that for everyone. Fantastic. So as we come towards uh, the end of this uh, conversation, if you could take all of your experiences, your perspective, uh, the things that are important to you, I guess that is the question. What are the three most important things to you in life? Talking about all your lists and all of everything we've talked about. Yeah, you know, I, I think for me, I like playing in rules of one. So I'll give you one that I think summarizes for all three. And the one thing that I want people to take away is my favorite quote, which is the following. Be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you want to do something important with your life, especially since you've been an hour listening to this conversation, I encourage you to follow your insanity. Don't you find it odd that a 22-year-old kid started a YouTube channel, not on pranks, not on vlogs or blogs, but on public speaking and communication. And then he went on to coach those executives on how to speak at 24, but also still lives in his mother's basement, doesn't own a car, <laughs> is literally talking to you on the mattress he sleeps on, dances alone in his basement hours a day, goes on Clubhouse for all these hours, and loves Justin Bieber, especially the old albums. How does any of this make any sense? But that's the point, Mike. When every decision in your life makes sense to the only person that matters, which is you, you'll always be successful in life. So be insane or be the same. 
I love it, and that directly uh, leads to, uh, to, I guess, uh, the last question. And if what is one piece of advice, and maybe it's what you just said, would you give to um, others in in their journey and their processes, especially if uh, they, 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 they want a little bit more, I guess, flexibility and uh, freedom over the things that they do? Yeah, definitely be insane or be the same. I think I think the more that we step into our weirdness, the things that make us quirky, that's what makes us special. Right? It's the it's the bizarre thing. It's the fact that I dance, it's the fact that I karaoke that makes me a unique person, right? That makes me more interesting. And I think that's true for all of us. Not just me. I think that's true for everybody. But most of us hide that to fit in, but I think fitting in is the worst thing you could ever do. Because fitting in means you're throwing yourself into a box you can't get out of. It. So that's what I encourage people to do is just, yeah, go be crazy. And I think it's through that craziness that you'll be successful. And there's also many uh, cons as I'm slowly discovering uh, on my journey about uh, staying in the box and like being molded like by everyone else. But it also takes guts and um, belief to break through that box. Like I always knew that I loved people. I wanted to be a professional actor at one point in life, but I knew I couldn't sing. So I, so I guess I guess what I've realized is that there are lots of different ways to showcase like uh, what you're, I guess, good at. And as I guess as also as I've been doing the show, you know, um, getting better at facilitating conversation and uh, that type of thing. Talking, going back to the point about practice, you know, like when I first started. Um, I was all over the map. I tried to improvise it, and it, 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 it was terrible. But despite all of the, the, the challenges along the way, I've, the thing that I'm most proud of is, um, and the thing that I've always been good at, whether, whether that's good or bad, is uh, uh, persistency. And so that persistent, I guess, attitude has really helped me um, develop the Tea with Mike show. And hopefully that persistent attitude will help me and moving forward in whatever I decide to do on my journey. Love it, man. Keep it up, man. You're doing great work. Thanks, and thank you so much uh, for being on the show today, man. I hope you had fun. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. No problem, guys. And this was another episode of the Tea with Mike show with the amazing, the legendary uh, Brendan uh, from Master Talk. Uh, definitely leave us a comment uh, wherever you uh, may be uh, consuming uh, this content. As we'd love to get some insight into uh, what you were thinking as you listened or watched this conversation. It's the Tea with Mike show.